Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 5 of Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to be reading verses 3 and 4. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We saw in our last study that this earth has been cursed since the fall of mankind into sin, and the curse has devoured the earth, according to Isaiah chapter 24, in the day of judgment. It's the reason why the uh, the wrath of God is upon the world, upon unsaved mankind, and ultimately it's the reason for man's destruction. Therefore, the curse devours the earth. But in the new heaven, in the new earth, and upon the new creatures of God, God's elect, who have received their new resurrected bodies and are now in his very presence, there is no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Well, um, the throne of God and the Lamb. We read something similar back in verse 1 of Revelation 22. I don't think we noticed it. Or uh, I didn't notice it. Um, in verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And what I didn't notice is that God is speaking of his throne, God is mentioned, and the Lamb. And, of course, um, they're one and the same. God is one God, but reveals himself as three Persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lamb is Christ, the Son of God. And, and yet God is speaking of the throne. And, uh, we, if we didn't know any better, we would, we uh, would think that, uh, He's referring to some sort of co-regency. And, uh, in fact, in the Bible, at times, there were co-regencies. For instance, King David, uh, reign together with his son Solomon for, uh, I think it was about four year period, and then David died, and upon David's death, Solomon, who was already king, laid the foundation of the house of God, the temple. Uh, and we can see there as David's a type of Christ, and Solomon in laying the foundation as a type of Christ. Well, in that co-regency, it's God, God who is king upon his throne. But here it's not speaking of two different kings. It's the same king. It's God is one God. The Father and I are one, Jesus said. And and so the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Back in Revelation chapter 3, we also read about the throne uh, the throne of God, and it said 
in Revelation 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. And there is why the Bible uses the language, the throne of God and of the Lamb, because the Lamb overcame. The word overcome is a word that means was victorious. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Christ overcame the world. He conquered. He was victorious over sin, over Satan, over all the enemies of God. And uh, therefore, he, he sat down with the Father in his throne. But notice it says in Revelation 3.21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So we have the Father, we have the Son, Jesus, God and the Lamb upon the throne. But Christ says it will also involve those that overcome. And it is the uh, elect, the children of God, that overcome through Jesus himself uh, as he has granted them his victory of faith in 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith or our faith Christ our faith and and therefore every one that God has saved has overcome and according to Revelation 3.21, Everyone that overcometh, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. To sit in the Bible means to rule. And remember, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And when he would save someone all throughout history, it was as though they were lifted up, exalted into the heavens to be seated in Christ Jesus and seated in the throne with him. This is why we, uh, we read in Matthew chapter 19, it says in verse 28, Then Jesus said unto them, speaking to the disciples, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Just as it was stated in Revelation 3.21, whoever overcomes will sit upon the throne with me as I overcame and sit upon the throne with the Father. And the language here of the Son of Man coming in his glory we find in Matthew 25 in that parable where Christ comes in, in his glory with, and all the holy angels with him. That would be these elect sitting in their throne with Christ. And, uh, and then the separation of the sheep and the goats takes place. And that happens on Judgment Day, the time we're presently living in. But as far as this throne, the throne of God and the Lamb. Let's go to Revelation 7 
And it says in verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, because the Lamb is on the throne, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four living creatures, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God. So again, God and the Lamb upon the throne. And then um, we we learn it's the great multitude that came out of great tribulation in verse 14 that are standing before the throne. And in verse 15, it says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's a time reference indicating that this scene of this great multitude that have come out of great tribulation is taking place on earth while there is still time. There, it, there's the sun, moon, and stars. The timekeepers are still in place. And uh, that um, applies to our present day because we have come out of great tribulation. The great tribulation concluded May 21, 2011, after 8,400 days, an exact 23-year period. And here we are, a great multitude. We can't see the great multitude, but God can, who have come out of the great tribulation and were before the throne of God and the Lamb, serving him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. So God indwells each believer, uh, the whole house of God, the spiritual house of all the elect has been completed. So he's entered in, in that sense, into every one of them. And, and that's the figure that he dwells among us. Now that figure will turn into the reality of what we read in Revelation 21 and 22, the, this present earth and heaven passes away and a new heaven and new earth is created and God then dwells in a different sense with his people and they see him face to face. And we'll take a look at that language um, a little later on. But um, it says in verse 17 of Revelation 7, for the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And 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 that's what's coming. That is, um, spiritually, some things have been fulfilled, but there are other things that we're reading in these chapters that take place at the end of the world on that last day and the beginning of eternity future, the new heaven and new earth. Now in Revelation 22, it says again in verse 3, But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We read in Revelation 7 that the great multitude serves him day and night. Notice that there is no time reference here in 
uh, Revelation 22.3. It does not say his servant shall serve him day and night. Then we would think, oh, this is uh, speaking of uh, our time or, or a time uh, on earth while the world's in uh, still continuing. But since it says they will simply serve him, it applies to eternity future. God's people have done service to God in this world. We, we had certain tasks to perform in the day of salvation. It was to evangelize the earth, bring the gospel to the lost sheep that they might hear and be saved. In the day of judgment, our task is to reap, to publish these things, to feed the sheep. And it's a, it's a different task. But we're still serving God in the new heaven and new earth and eternity future. The task may be uh, be thou over this city or five cities or whatever. And remember, God has been busy actively creating from eternity past because he's a God that abhors idleness and he wants people to work. And no one should be idle and, and a sluggard and not involved in work. And when God works... We know from Genesis, he creates. God worked six days creating. He rested the seventh day, which which meant he did no work of creation. And therefore, from all eternity past, and remember, you can never find the beginning of that. Um, if uh, you somehow were able to go in that direction and to seek out the beginning point of eternity past, you would just go on and on and on forever. If you had some um, ability to do that, which we don't have, you, you would just go deeper and deeper into the depths of eternity past. And, and no matter how far and how deep you went, you would never come to the beginning point. Because God has no beginning. He has always been. He is the great I am. And that gives God, if we were to use a figure from this world of time, it gives him all the time in the world to create untold number of creations to work. And God, when he works, creates. So God could have been busy, actively involved, and it's very likely he was in creating this creation that is apart from our present creation and maybe apart from other creations. And another over here and another over there, all uh, under the dominion of God, all on the spectrum uh, of his view and under his control and we, and in that sense under the kingdom of God and, and yet uh, one creation is not able to contact or know of the other creation. And none, though, none of those creations and their creatures are like this creation and the creature man who is made in the image of God. We, we don't read of that kind of special creature in any way or anywhere at all. And we have become sons of God, adopted into the family of God, we are 
um, prophets, priests, and kings. God is king of kings and lord of lords, but he has brought us into the royal family. And in the Bible, when a king ruled over many provinces, it was the custom, if he had sons, to set up a son to rule over this province and that province because he trusted his son. And uh, for the most part, uh, that the son would do a better job than some stranger. And and so here God has brought perhaps as many as 200 million sons into his kingdom that, that he will give tasks to perform. And one of them may be over all these creations. Here, you you rule over that creation, you over this, and you over that. And and then we're all under God. We're all, uh, it would be like these creations are provinces. God is the ruler over all. And something could be along those lines. But whatever it is, we will serve him. We will do his bidding. We will do it perfectly obediently and we will have great joy in in doing it well it goes on to say in verse 4 of revelation 22 and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads and this is speaking of these blessed souls these blessed people that that god has redeemed the redeemed of the lord the, the one that God has made a highway for. And they, uh, they travel through that highway like the Israelites traveled across the dry seabed, crossing the Red Sea to the other side, or as Israel traveled across the Jordan when, when the waters stood up and, and crossed over to the promised land. Well, God has made a highway out of this world into that new heaven and new earth and the way is Christ himself uh, and we are going to the presence of God. We're going to enter into his presence and we will see him face to face. We will see his face and that's not a small thing. Remember what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus 33. And, and actually it's a, a, a little confusing if we were just to read this with, um, without understanding some other things in the Bible. For instance, in Exodus 33 verse 11, it says, And Jehovah spake unto Moses face to face. As a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So here God says he speaks with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But just in the very same chapter, and just a few verses down, uh, look at verse 17 and the following verses. And it says, And Jehovah said unto Moses, So it's still God speaking to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of Jehovah before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And Jehovah said, Behold, there is a, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. You see how uh, some people feel that the Bible has errors or is full of contradictions. After all, uh, we we just read in verse 11, Jehovah spake with Moses face to face as the man speaks to his friend. And then hardly any time has passed. And the next thing we read that God is telling Moses he, he cannot see his face. No man uh, can see God's face and live. And it, it appears to be a contradiction until we understand that in the first instance, when God says he speaks to Moses face to face, that face to face or mouth to mouth is a figure of speech that God uses in a few places in the Bible to indicate when God gives revelation. Uh, and normally God hides his revelation. He hides his truth. He hides his word. It's why Jesus spoke in parables. The, the Bible says in Isaiah, Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself. It's why God uh, has written a book of Proverbs. And uh, it's why we read of Samson giving a riddle. And it's why the book of Job says Job continued his parable. And and so on. Just many examples are given. It's why the book of Revelation is written in the way it was. Or Ezekiel with uh, hyperbolic language, theologians call it. But it's just parables. And it, it's the nature of God. It's how, in his wisdom, he determined to give his word to mankind he would speak in parables, and to the sinner, it would uh, provide a barrier where they could not see God. They could not uh, have any understanding, really, of God, except very minor things, unless God opened the eyes of the sinner and granted them spiritual sight to see him, and Jesus explains that in Matthew 13 when the disciples asked him, Why speakest thou in parables? And he said to you, It is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. And that's why God wrote the book in a parabolic manner. That is, the whole Bible's a parable because God has hidden truth from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible in various ways. And yet God reveals truth to his people, and when he does so, 
it's as though he speaks face to face or plainly uh, as it says in numbers 12 concerning god um again mentioning moses it it says in uh numbers 12 verse 7 and 8 my servant moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house with him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of Jehovah shall he behold. Wherefore then, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That, that's what God means in verse 11, that he spake with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He revealed much truth to Moses. It doesn't, doesn't mean that Moses actually saw the face of God, and the face would indicate the presence of God, and especially the fullness of God's presence. No, that wasn't the case. And actually the face identifies with glory. Notice again in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God then goes on to talk about his face. He, he didn't say, thou cannot see my glory, for there shall no man see my glory and live. But he made reference to his face, because the face of God identifies with the glory of God. Uh, for instance, turn to Second Corinthians chapter 3 and notice how face and glory are, uh, are are mixed together in these verses. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? You see, Moses, when he went to get the Ten Commandments and came down, his face shone. And that was a reflective thing that showed forth the glory of God. But it was in Moses' face that the Israelites couldn't look. And and that's what God is basically saying to Moses in Exodus 33. You cannot see my face. The Israelites could not even look on the reflected glory in Moses' face. How could anyone look upon the actual face of God himself and see the fullness of his glory. Uh, it says in Second Corinthians 4, in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Bible connects glory with the face. So that's really what God is saying to Moses. 
He's speaking of his glory. You cannot see the fullness of my glory. I'll show you just my back parts of my glory. Just just a little glory. Uh, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3 and, and look at the last verse in verse 18. It says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, there again, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And this is referring to the Word of God, the Bible. God shows a little bit of his glory as he opens up a truth of the Scripture. And and we stand in awe when this occurs. Oh, look at this wonderful truth. And yet, it's just showing a little bit of the glory of God. And we're privileged and blessed to be living in a time when God has opened up a great deal of information. And the more he does, the more he is glorified. And the greater we can see his glory. But... There's coming the day when we will behold him face to face. We'll see his face in a way like we've never have before. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.